Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is World's Greatest Con. I'm Brian Brushwood. All right, gang, this is the Q&A episode, which normally I wouldn't blame anybody for skipping. It's usually more details, it's questions about how we came upon a story or what we think of various things. But this one's going to be different. It's going to be special because there are some times that the very act of telling a story affects it. And... We're living through that right now because the story isn't finished. The world's greatest con. This episode of World's Greatest Con brought to you by... Actually, let's start here. Audible.com, Amazon.com. This is where great stories live. And among my favorites, the bestseller, The Naturalist by Andrew Maine. Enter the world of Theo Cray, a computational biologist who has a unique gift for finding patterns where others see only chaos. Get this. Mutilated bodies are discovered deep inside the Montana woods. Local police, they find themselves grasping at straws. But Theo uncovers something they missed, something unnatural, and only he can stop it. With time running out, Theo must stay one step ahead of the authorities while using his scientific prowess to unmask the true killer. The question remains, can he become as cunning as the predator he's hunting, or will he ultimately become the prey? Don't miss The Naturalist. It's the thrilling introduction to the Theo Craze series, one of my favorite books, and it's by Wall Street Journal bestseller Andrew Maine. Read it now at Amazon.com and get the audiobook at Audible.com. I'm joined in studio by my co-creator, Justin Robert Young. We are going to answer your questions, but uh, Justin, how do you want to begin this? Well, we should probably begin with a little bit of news uh, that we came to over the last seven days. And that is that uh, one of our characters in this story is Mark Schaefer. He was a lead researcher at the Mac Lab. And through various different communications that we've had with folks that were indirect communications that were at the Mac lab, it has uh, come to our attention that he is no longer with us. And July 18th, 2018, unfortunately, he suffered fatal injuries in a bicycle accident in his home of Colorado. We've tracked down enough information on this to confirm it. But uh, something that I know for our team and specifically for Banachek and Mike Edwards, it was hard. It was very hard to learn that, that not only is he gone, but also that uh, they had drifted so far apart from each other that it was not known to them until the rumblings that have existed around this podcast. And. I hope I'm not talking too far out of school to say, you know, obviously we're in communication with each other. There's a text thread with the, uh, our two primary protagonists of our, our show. Um, it was 
it was an, a deeply affecting moment to get the news uh, because I believe it was Mike that let us know first. And then yeah. there was kind of a scramble of like, wait, is this right? Um, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll not say what was said after that, but I got the sense that uh, up until now, Justin, uh, we've only told closed stories. The loops have all been closed. Yeah. Turns out Hitler lost. Yes. Turns out they figured out the price is right. It turns out that 21 happened a long time ago, but, but this story had a couple of threads that are unresolved. And that's part of what we loved about it is the fact that history hasn't settled on it. And that's why we wanted to tell the tale of the boots of the ground story of the boys, but to, to be there and watch and wrestle with the fact that time not only has been running out, but has already run out for so many aspects of the story it, was confusing. It is safe to say, and you hear in the show that Mike and Steve would both love to have more closure on this. They would love to be in communication with people that they went through on this. And I know from both of them that they feel comfortable with the way we told the story uh, as being true to their point of view. I know that the two people that they would most like to close the loop with were Peter Phillips and Mark Schaefer. And I think it's safe to say that knowing that Mark Schaefer is no longer around to close the loop compounded by the fact that he was the younger of the two is something that weighs on, on them that, that this window has half closed and uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Uh, I obviously, if there's anything else that is, broadcastable uh, based on the, the permission of all involved, we will bring you that uh, we are committed to continuing to tell this story. I know so many people, especially based on the feedback that we have gotten via this, this episode of the questions that you guys have been connected to it. So that's I, the update. Uh, internally. Uh, I, I think we've done a pretty good job of not talking out of school about any private communications that we've had. Uh, outside of conveying feelings that, that are happening. Um, uh, as far as uh, you and I and our quest on the world's greatest con, um, I think that we discovered with this season and with this story, new complications with a currently open narrative, something that, uh, that, uh, it, it, uh, once once the story is finished, you have the historical documents. You can speculate and and that kind of stuff. Uh, it was it was really uh, a difficult challenge to tell the story without overly speculating because currently living people would have other uh, opinions about it. Um, but uh, but now <laughs> now we're realizing that not everyone is available for an interview forever and ever and ever. <laughs> yeah, at the point that we started this project unbeknownst to us, Mark Schaefer was no longer with us. So, uh, that is, that is what it is. Uh, you know, beyond that, there are indirect communications between our show and people who have worked at the Mac lab, not Peter Phillips specifically. And anything else that we can get, we will bring you if, you know, it yeah, is gettable. I, I guess the, the safest thing we can say is um, if there's more of the story to tell, we would very much like to tell it. We would love to. Yeah. But let's go ahead and get into our questions here. Uh, what did Mike and Steve's parents think of their involvement in Project Alpha and the Mac Lab? They had to have known, right? If they didn't know, what did they think they were doing? And I will actually answer that because I have texted Mike Edwards. Oh, wonderful. Uh, wonderful. Because, okay. But before you reveal the answer, uh, I wonder just how good about being undercover they were. Like if Mike Edwards was able to keep it from his own parents, I suspect not given what we've, <laughs> what we've uh, learned about uh, Mike Edwards uh, upbringing. Mike says, my parents were supportive in my efforts with Alpha. However, much like I came to realize it should have been handled better at the reveal. So I think that is is safe to say that uh, uh, 
His parents were were into it, but they were probably queasy at the point that the reveal was getting to it. And I think that uh, that he has gotten from them the idea that, uh, as he states in the show, if he could go back in time, that would be the thing that he would do. Yeah, and and and, and I do feel like they were loudly heard not only by us, but, but the listening audience as well. I think that was pretty clear. Uh, and I think it is also very clear that, uh, the absence of Banachek's parents are, are a <laughs> is key an part, integral part of the story of his well. story. So, uh, I think, yeah, there, there is, there is not a lot of, uh, uh Banachek's parents opinion that I think has been represented in I, this story. I thought the phrasing of the follow-up question was interesting on this one. Uh, Kristen says, why do you think Randy took all the credit? Was that just his personality or do you think it was to uh, protect the boys to some degree? Uh, uh, First of all, uh, that was part of the needle that we tried to thread is we don't think Randy took credit. We think that Randy's natural instincts were to make sure that the story remained as simple as possible so it could be as popular and easy to share as possible. And it is flatly and factually a simpler, simpler narrative that he told. Um, uh, you could make a case that one might, one might make a case that uh, he was an old school showman. As, as <laughs> and, is said by Mike in, in, in the show. But, but I honestly hadn't considered the possibility that it was to protect the boys. And, and I don't, think that was a primary concern of his especially since the boys names are released they do appear in the fourth paragraph of the discover article uh so so i don't think it was a protection thing i think uh uh and you you and i have talked about this there are times in any creative endeavor where two people may disagree but we always lean back on everything in service of the story and uh i i would be surprised if, if Randy's uh, crowding out, if you want to look at it that way, of the boys was in service of much more than the story itself. Everybody involved in the story that we spoke to has said this would not be nearly as big. We probably would not still be talking about Project Alpha 40 years later if Randy was not the one banging the pots and pans together in front of the press that made it such a big deal. Everybody involved in this up to and including Peter Phillips in the speech he gave to an organization that will remain nameless. Uh, he's, you know, if anything, he, he makes it a black mark on Randy's actions that he made such a, a mountain out of a molehill uh, of, of what was a very simple scientific uh, skirmish now turns into this gigantic clash between right and wrong. I will also say that it is not shocking to me personally that when Randy found the perfect formula to reduce this, he found himself at the center of the stage with the spotlight hitting him the hottest. Uh, that is who he was. He, he he always knew how to find his mark. He always knew the way that, that he could transfix uh, uh, the press. I do think that part of his center stage antics are the reason why this is still a relevant story. So it all, it all blends together, but I don't, I agree with you, Brian. I'm, I do not think it was for protection of the boys. I, I'm, I'm realizing now that in interviews, I've mentioned this, uh, it's usually the first thing I blurt out, but I don't think on this program we've ever pointed out that not only were you an intern at the James Randi educational foundation, yes. but you were the very first intern at the JREF. you know, and, and behind the scenes, it's something that I wrestled with doing a disclaimer in the show just to say that there was a connection between world's greatest con, the entity co-created by me and you and the James Randi educational foundation and James Randi as a person, I was friends with Randy and and you you were the one who introduced me to him for the very first time. Um, so I wrestled with it. I ultimately decided not to do it because I don't think that it really contributed anything. I don't think anybody would listen to our show and, and be like, well, more Randy propaganda, right? (laughs) Which I I think that would be something that, that you would want to put the bumper sticker on there for. If, if somebody might think that I didn't, which which, by the way, we'll get to uh, the most surprising aspect of this entire journey. Uh, 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 I'm very glad we didn't do that. And we had one goal, which was tell the untold tale of the boots on the, on the ground experience of the boys. 
Jeff writes, long time, first time. My insights are neither clever nor unique, but I had to get this off my chest. Can we all agree that Ricardo Maltabon indeed was the world's greatest con? You know what? Not only is that probably true. Yeah. But we let's, have. Let's tell a tale. Uh, I, 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 I don't. Should we even try to make that audio work? It we, no, work. no. This is the place where we can play it. But okay. set, set it up because uh, this also feeds into our journey of making it because yeah Lubbock, that's right so yeah. so so um bring us bring us into the trip leading up to and and through lubbock okay so uh the, the, um <laughs> uh there's a lot of back and forth in figuring out what is the real story here a lot of retakes a lot of editing and production and we had roughly three very solid rough cuts but we knew that we needed to wrap this story up and around this time, I was uh, uh, invited to fly out to Lubbock, Texas, to host a live onstage Q&A with William Shatner, who yes. is uh, maybe maybe biologically he's 93. He turns 63 the moment that spotlight hits. He is, he is truly spry. an incredible amazing storyteller and uh, he asked to have dinner beforehand had a great time chatting so you were you were the moderator of this event they were showing world's great or they were showing uh, uh, wrath of khan before the full movie so the full movie sitting there watching wrath of khan and then for a 45 minute q a out comes brian out comes William Shatner. And the two of us are they're seated together and very clearly, and this is, this is one of the ma amazing things about William Shatner, is he very intentionally asked, what are you up to? Why are you here? What is this? And I'm like, oh, I do, I do podcasts or whatever. The one I'm most pleased with right now is called World's Greatest Con. World's Greatest Con. Oh, okay, all right. And files that away. Surprises me on stage when he corrects the pronunciation and does the following. World's Greatest Con is the name of the podcast. And I thought, is this spelled K A H A? The World's Greatest Con! Which might be one of the greatest moments of my entire life. Yes, and, and trust me, I wish, 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 if I would have known that this was coming, I would have broken into the sound room so I could plug into the board and we could have gotten clean <laughs> audio on that. We, we just got it from the, uh, from, from the, 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 uh, audience. I was just recording from the audience for Brian's own personal posterity. So we can remember interviewing, uh, William Shatner. It, I think it is worth bringing up the fact that logistically, I uh, Lubbock's about halfway between Austin and Las Vegas. Yeah. So this is what I want to reset up. Okay. Yeah. So the reason why we needed to rush to get all four episodes in rough cut form was because we knew we had scheduled with Mike and Banachek that we were going to meet them in Las Vegas to record episode number five. So the episode that you just heard, if you were listening to this as it's being released week by week, the one that you just heard that was recorded on this preset date. But that meant that for me as head of production, I had to get a rough cut done at the very least. So they could hear the completed story and they could have the conversation that they had in episode five with full knowledge of what happens. We didn't want to, do three and a half episodes and then have something at the end that they wouldn't be able to remark on. So I spend as Brian is preparing to interview William Shatner, I am spending all day in this hotel in Lubbock, getting episode four ready, sending episode four to Brian to listen to for me to listen to before we send to Mike and Banachek, we send it to Mike and Banachek. Thankfully they were extraordinarily complimentary about it, but the clip you hear of Brian outside at the end of episode four was necessary for us to do. We, that was not planned. It that was, was not, not what we had in the script. It was not, that is real as rain. Brian indeed was halfway between uh, our studios here in Austin, Texas and Las Vegas. It just so happened that it was in Lubbock, Texas, where he was interviewing William Shatner that well, night. And it created a curious artifact because we didn't know what we were going to get out of episode five. And uh, upon listening to it, we both thought it was close enough, good enough. Like uh, 
we had assumed this was a four episode story and then it would be over. And then when you listen to it that way, it's episode four is fairly unsatisfying <laughs> uh, unless you know that episode five is coming. We had a rough cut of episode four, not knowing what episode the, five the was en- going to en- be. The end of episode four was never meant to be permanent. And I will say that from my perspective as a writer and producer. And and I figured there would be some kind of rejiggering down the road. But but when we shared it in its form, all anybody at the end of four said is, where's five? And we thought five was just going to be bonus stuff. But instead, uh, it's it's not only good. It's not only a wonderful conversation, but it's a conversation that changed minds, which uh, we'll talk about later. Ken writes. Mike Edwards that went to the college class and fooled everyone to use his evidence for the Mac lab. Did he ever go back to that professor or that school after project alpha was complete and out in the open? Mike Edwards texts back. I never followed up with professor Witsat. I did hear that he did learn that I was one of the magicians several months later. One of his students saw a magic show I did and reported that back to him in the pre-internet days, there was very little chance of him following the development of alpha over the next few years. Uh, in the end, his name was never mentioned. So aside from this show, David Witsat has never really been connected with Project Alpha because most of the tellings of Project Alpha didn't focus on Mike and Banachek. So this is the first time that that has been out there. And that is the latest uh, that we know about Professor Witsat. Uh, that, that is somebody who I would love to hear a boots on the ground account of what that was like. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Grant writes, knowing the ways that a con can pass these kinds of tests, what kind of experiment would you design to be as magician-proof as possible? You know what? I have a list of things that you must do. (laughs) You must have a conjurer in the laboratory. You must not alter the protocol. I mean, to be honest, uh, James Randi nailed it. That would be a very good way to prevent a con from happening is have an experienced deceiver in the room. And as we pointed out, uh, Mike, Mike and Steve Shaw at the time, they were those conjurers who called out what they perceived to be a fraud. Let's also point out that you know, Randy eventually got into this game when he offered the million dollar challenge. The proof of winning a million dollars was doing a double blind test that was designed by the J ref and had to be agreed upon as fair by the person for whom was applying for the million dollars. Uh, if you're unfamiliar or don't remember from earlier in, in the series, this was an open challenge. Anybody who said that they could demonstrate a psychic or, or supernatural phenomenon. You were invited to come and prove it. Uh, no one has ever to this moment won the million dollars, but we are friends with Andrew Maine, somebody who worked for years designing those protocols and they are similar to what Randy wrote back in project alpha. 
and also not overly complicated. Everybody no. sees, yeah, no, I get it. I'll douse over, you know, five buckets. One will have water. The other will be filled with sand. I won't know which one is which. I got to do it three times in a row. Um, uh, if, if that's an example I just made up. Don't hold me to it. But the point is, uh, the remarkable thing uh, for people who attended any of the conferences where this was executed live was to see the powerful confidence with which applicants would approach it to see them confidently saying, yes, of course, if it works, then it should work. And then you see the surprise afterwards. And then uh, usually in online posts or forums or discussions, because memory is malleable, you begin to craft a narrative that, that makes that less of a painful moment, uh, which, you know, down the road could be its own episode itself. John writes, I was born in 1984 and I grew up loving Ghostbusters. In the real world, after a decade plus of so many people expecting something to prove the paranormal, what if scientists really proved it? That sounds like a good setup for a movie. In the movie, a physicist, a great BSer, and a true believer find each other. Just when they get real proof, the Project Alpha revelation hits and nobody at Columbia University will risk the same embarrassment. Project Alpha poisoned the well so much that there's no amount of proof that will convince some people. Even after they save the world, there's still people who believe that it's faked. All that cultural knowledge and background makes the Ghostbusters story pop so much more. So uh, was Ghostbusters, was that 1984 or 82? We should look that up because, because originally uh, one of the ideas that I had was that we could begin episode one with that scene. And explain and the scene. The, the scene, of course, is Dr. Peter Venkman is the head of parapsychology at uh, some university. He clearly is only looking to uh, 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 get in the pants of one of the students and uh, unnecessarily tortures the other by lying and the and male, the male the goober. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, I, I, it's interesting. So was it 84 or 82? 84. 84. Great. So that means two years after Project Alpha. This is a punchline. So before Project Alpha. And, and Ghostbusters famously was rewritten within an inch of its life at the 11th hour. Uh, uh, the initial script of Ghostbusters, which was Dan Aykroyd's, was extremely supernatural. Like it was very much taking the supernatural extraordinarily seriously. All the friends starting a small business, challenge, you know, being challenged by academia and bureaucracy, that was all written all, also, very if, close to the shooting. If you listen to Aykroyd's uh, Ray Stance, when he's talking about this is the biggest thing since the Tunguska uh, blast of 1910 or whatever it was, like he can do that all day long. That's, that's really why, Dan Aykroyd. That's yeah. really him. He, that's why he loves UFOs. He loves, uh, uh, that's why he made Crystal Head Vodka uh, yep. to be the Crystal the, Skull. Yeah. The crystal Skull. Uh, but, uh, it, to me, it is it was fascinating to consider just how fast things turned around. So we have early 1983 Project Alpha is released. Yeah. By 1984 summer, Ghostbusters opens with a scene openly mocking parapsychology. Yeah. I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah, I think that there was a cultural tide that had turned very uh, quickly. I think that. Ghostbusters is something that we spent some time thinking about whether or not we wanted to work in. And ultimately I think episode one is so heavy on us world building with other elements that, uh, you know, there's only so much pop culture tiebacks we could have. And it was more important for us to tie it to the more relevant stranger things than it was to Ghostbusters. But uh, certainly I, I don't disagree with this, uh, uh, with this, with this emailers take on it. I, I think that that is, that is something that without knowing the specifics of where everybody who rewrote that script were, uh, it would not shock me if, if those broad stroke elements were part of it. Maybe now is the time for us to uh, reveal what somebody asked me recently in an interview, what the biggest surprise of doing this project was. And it took me a minute to realize it. But the thing that surprised me the most is, uh, is that Justin and I had always figured this undercover heist to expose shoddy research was one of the greatest 
you know, we thought we were interviewing nothing but heroes. And obviously, you know, Mike and Steve couldn't wait to get their, their story out. Um, and uh, we, us, all four of us, you know, well, clearly they're the heroes. I was unprepared for the number of people who tweeted sentiments along the lines of, this is so confusing because I, 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 they're so misguided and they're messing with academic research and they're clearly the bad guys. And then they get to the end and they're like, well, now I understand, but now I feel conflicted. I, I, I was unprepared. I thought we were telling the very, very simple story as we had always heard it. And just, it turns out that there was more there. I was unprepared for people maybe listening to this right now who still think they did the wrong thing. Well, the story as it is told as conquering heroes was has largely been told from the skeptic community. And I don't mean that in the broad sense of people for whom apply critical thinking in their lives, which I think is the broad, uh, the, the broad element of our society scene, capital S skeptic, yeah. uh, uh, community that especially in, the aughts and tens revolved around the amazing meeting uh, that happened in Las Vegas yearly. And that was one in which people lionized Randy's greatest hits. And one of Randy's greatest hits was project alpha. And it, it demonstrated the fallibility of academia and, and so on and so on. So Banachek and Mike are looked at as heroes from that capacity. We certainly kind of went into it with that being more of the framework, but even when we were talking to them, they don't see themselves as the, the full white knight heroes. They yep. see themselves in tremendous shades of gray. They see themselves as having unpaid debt and things that they still need to atone for to this day. And hopefully that comes through in both episode four and episode five that they, you know, Mike, you know, literally texting Mike, Mike me, literally te texting says. me right now, about his parents' opinion on this still will come back to, man, I screwed up that reveal. I screwed up doing it on television. I screwed up saying during the press conference also, that these are the kind of people that are teaching your kids. Like that was personal. That was, that was ugly. They should have called them before it went down like that. There's, there's a lot of stuff there that they very much believe they were in the wrong on. And it's not surprising to me in hindsight that that's something that people latched onto. Yeah. Hearing Mike say with a pause, we definitely committed a crime that night was one About of the, the psychic hurricane. Yeah. That was, yeah. that was one of the eye opening moments. Jay writes, I was fortunate enough to hear Randy talk multiple times about Project Alpha and even meet Banachek at the Amazing Meeting 6. So now we are talking to folks who are very much a part of that community that we just introduced. The last time that we spoke, I specifically asked Randy about a magician in the laboratory, his unfinished book. And he answered that it should be out the following year. That following year was 2013. So now 10 years ago. Alas, I fear it remains unfinished. Any chance that you have heard differently? Uh, I will say this. When I was an intern at the James Randi Educational Foundation, one of the jobs that I had was scanning old Randi articles. And I never knew why I was doing it, except to say that it was partly for a book that Randi was working on. And I have only over the last couple of weeks put two and two together that almost assuredly that Whoa. book was a magician in the laboratory. I don't remember specifically the old columns that I was scanning I was just kind of told find every Randy column from old skeptic magazines and stuff like that or skeptical inquirer. I can't remember, but uh, that's what I was putting into a database so he could work on it. I know internally at the JREF uh, myself and, and many others were very much pushing for him to uh, become a part of the literary boom that was happening at that time in the world of skepticism and atheism. There was a lot of people that were putting out a lot of books and we very much wanted him to be a part of that. Uh, obviously it never came to fruition, but I certainly hope that some version of it uh, comes out. And if this podcast and people being fascinated by the story has any momentum toward that happening, then I, I certainly hope that it does. Marcus writes, have you seen the Columbo episode with a very strong connection to James Randi and debunking psychics? Columbo goes to the guillotine season 
Eight, episode one. I you sent this to me, yeah, and I I did the thing where I sort of skipped and and every no matter where I skipped to, it was like holy moly, they're just putting everything exactly on Front Street. That was an, an amazing episode. So in this episode, which there is a condensed version that you can watch for free on YouTube, uh, because you know eighties pacing. <laughs> uh, the plot is a man who claims to be a genuine psychic is at a laboratory and a magician is brought in that has a moniker that is very similar to James, the amazing Randy, but it is supposed to be a Yuri Geller and James Randy kind of uh, conflict, except in this version, the magician who sets up the undefeatable protocols is indeed defeated and the psychic wins uh, only for us to find out that they are long lost friends that spent time in a African prison together. The Randy character sold out the Geller character and now the Ge- the Geller character murders the Randy character and then Columbo figures it out. So, I, so I, things, I believe things, the- things depart a little bit, but there's a lot of callbacks up and including that the murder weapon uh, is a guillotine, a literal guillotine, which James Randy developed for Alice Cooper's tour. Famously, Uh, James Randy went on tour with Alice Cooper and cut off Alice Cooper's head with a fake guillotine prop. So that very obviously the writers of that episode were paying homage to James Randi and, and Yuri Geller on some and, level. Uh, almost certainly, uh, as they would often do in 1980s television, they would give a fake method for a thing. And so they, without elaborating, they say, uh, oh, well, here, if you're so innocent, lay in this guillotine prop. You're like, yes, of course it's safe. And he's like, oh, you know what? I noticed there's a left side and a right side. What if I twist them around and set it up? And then suddenly uh, uh, they're not interested in being in the guillotine anymore. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. If you if you have been caught up in Project Alpha Mania of, of that era, then this is very, very much uh, in that vein. This was, I guess, a reboot of Columbo, which had already run for 10 years from like the 60s to the 70s. And this was a reboot in the 80s. Yeah, I think they did a number of, of series, including, of all people, uh, William Shatner plays a Rush Limbaugh-like character in one of them. Oh, really? And finally, Trench writes, Brian, did you ever have the pleasure of meeting Mr. Randy? What was that like? Yeah. The very first day I met the same voice that you're hearing uh, across the room, Justin Robert Young, uh, we did a podcast and Justin said, hey, you're going to be in Florida for six weeks. Would you like to drive an hour down and come meet James Randy? And I couldn't say yes fast enough. It was." Um, a very special moment for me. And uh, at many conventions, uh, I met James Randi again. Uh, uh, he, he was always very, very kind. I guess the first time, uh, much like part of the reason that Mike Edwards's account of calling James Randi resonated is in 2003, I wrote a skeptical lecture called Scam Sasquatch and the Supernatural. It was basically a magician's eye view of everything from UFOs to Bigfoots to astrology to fake healers and summoning the dead and so on. And uh, I I wanted to ask about psychic surgery, a trick that I would later do on uh, Penn and Teller's Fool Us. And so I called the number that I could find on the internet in 2003. And just like Mike Edwards, I had that experience of, uh, uh, hello, this is James Randi. And just like Mike Edwards, I had, uh, as he put it, vapor no, no, lock. No, 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 no. <laughs> I was like, well, how, how do you know? I was like, he's like, yeah, you just use fake blood, make it look, you know, skin's pliable, stick your hand in there. Yeah. I'm like, okie dokie. Thanks. Um, there is a podcast that I did very early in my career with James Randy called the amazing show. Uh, 15 years. I mean, yeah, that would have been 2008. It, uh, it was done at the time because James Randi had so many amazing stories that 
we wanted to get down permanently. I don't know what has happened to that feed. I don't know what has happened to those episodes. I'm sure it is on an old computer somewhere in my possession or my mom's house. But if anybody who is listening to the sound of my voice for whatever reason uh, saved those episodes, uh, I would love to hear them again. Uh, and, and trust me, it is not because I want to hear a very early in his career, Justin Robert Young tried <laughs> to stammer through a, uh, uh, an interview with James Randi. And I will assure you that the entire, uh, uh, the entire element of the reviews of that podcast were Randy's great. Why won't the other guy shut up? <laughs> um, but uh, that would be, that would be great because there is a lot of stories of him meeting Orson Welles and, and all, all sorts of uh, uh, fun ephemera. And, and the reason why we did it at the time was exactly for the utility that would exist now that he wasn't going to be around forever. And we wanted the stories that would eventually fall out of him. If you were next to him at a dinner to just live forever. So maybe if anybody has it, I would love to, George Lucas style, go in and uh, redo just all my edit parts. Out all of you, just or yeah, I'll just redo it and you'll uh, re-record all of your lines. Yeah, I'll be like so, Randy. <laughs> uh, not only, not only did I have the privilege of appearing on that uh, program only once. Uh, that was the that time was that when we drove you came down, in, right? Yeah. And then, uh, but I, I may have an old computer or an old hard drive that has a copy of it. I'll have to go poking around. Yeah. Well, there we go. That is the totality of our questions that we are reading here today. There is one question that I've received quite a bit, which is, is, is this it? Is the story that we told a book, a TV show, a movie, a documentary, uh, without talking out of school, do you have do you have a take? Is there more here? Because again, this is the first time we've told a story that the loop isn't totally closed and hasn't already been mined by somebody else. I believe that the narrative potential of this story has obviously had a lot of worth seen in it by minds far greater than mine in the world of filmmaking, including Barry Sonnenfeld uh, as revealed by Banachek and Mike during episode five, uh, there were conversation about other amazing screenwriters that wanted to take a shot at it. I think selfishly the way that we told this story from Mike and Steve's perspective reveals a very, very, very elemental form of storytelling. And the reason why we start out the entire series with why are we obsessed with coming of age stories is because that's what this is. This is a story of two boys coming from very different backgrounds that find what it means to be an adult and, and in a large part, what the transition from childhood to adulthood really boils down to is understanding that you affect the world around you and that no matter how righteous you believe your cause is, there are consequences when we start to look beyond ourselves. And when you're a child, adults around you hopefully pick up for you in Banachek's case, that was not happening. And so we had to learn that lesson probably earlier, but I very much think that this is something that could be any of those versions of different storytelling and you know we'll have to wait and see as to uh as to what it is well i do know this much uh first off i really enjoy the quote from will store's book the science of storytelling where he overly reductionistly says all stories boil down to one thing the protagonist asks who am i and we see that in this and and that's something i'm really pleased to uh, see emerge from it. Um, I also know this much. Uh, this is our third season and we've got plans for a fourth. We would like it very much. If you're hearing us for the first time to give a listen to the back catalog, we try to create everything as little audiobooks 
evergreen content that should be enjoyed for the first time a hundred years after we're dead and buried. And uh, if you have enjoyed this story so far, please go back and listen to the beginning. And uh, I'm not going to ask you to don't post it on your socials. That's, that's a dopamine hit that goes nowhere. Pick up the phone, call one person, say out loud, I think you'll like this. You may, as we've had to with some of our friends, you may have to explain how to listen to a podcast to get them to start hearing it. <laughs> But it'll be worth it, and they will thank you. Uh, and then finally, you want, last look, call. we can edit this out if you want. But do you want to explain how a certain a certain titan of uh, magic has enjoyed this podcast? Uh, okay, uh, a lot of people are very very busy, and they don't have time to learn how to do podcasts. Yes, some of these people are extraordinary uh, storytellers and understand the fundamentals of good stories. And some of them like this season very, very much, but don't want to be bothered on any of the learning how to do the podcast thing. Yes. Because they're about to go on stage with Penn Jillette. Yes. <laughs> and some of those people may have been texting me saying, can I have the next episode, please? So you were just giving one link to a Dropbox for an episode. At a time. I was a human RSS feed. And Teller would <laughs> click the button and the voice would play and he would listen to an episode. And then he would just text Brian more, more. <laughs> another link, more, another link, more. <laughs> please, please share this story with people who you don't think do podcasts. So do please. Yes. Uh, 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 it works with yes. people even who have never understood what a podcast is. The beautiful thing about podcasting apps these days is you can do the exact same thing that Brian did with a Dropbox. You can generate a specific link that will immediately open up the app that they don't even realize they have on their phone and it will it will just start playing so we would we would love it if you could share it with folks and, one uh, last thing one yeah. last thing so uh, we've been doing ads and uh, the traditional podcast experience is an ad-based one we developed everything without ads and i was rather struck at how much better it is without the ads. So if you would like an ad-free experience of everything that, that we've has ever done before, yeah. all of them, I think if you want to revisit stuff, it's worth it. Hearing one segment effortlessly flow into the next one, I think you'll really, really dig it. So please, please, please consider keeping independent journalism. Uh, I'm going to use air quotes around journalism, uh, storytelling uh, uh, alive Head on over to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You click a button, you never think about it again. And every night you go to slash greatest con. Oh, wait. Yeah, sorry. Uh, greatest con. Uh, yes. You should probably get that right. You want me to give it again? No, it's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> patreon.com slash greatest con. Uh, keep, keep us alive. Keep it going because we got even bigger stories coming in the future. And I'm not entirely certain this one is over. Uh, Justin, do you have any parting thoughts? Yeah, just to piggyback on that uh thank you to our community that has been on patreon.com you guys are the reason why this exists and i mean that literally uh you have had demonstrated extraordinary patience we made a bargain with you guys that for the vast majority of the times that monthly you are getting charged for this patreon that you will have no product to show for it but you will know that we are working and that when we give something to you, you know that it has come through the blood, sweat, and tears of this process. Uh, it is extraordinary to look at the retention of that Patreon and see that it does not dip. It just goes, plateaus, it goes up, it plateaus. So we don't get a ton of new people when we're not releasing new stuff. But when new stuff comes out, it, it spikes again. There's no gigantic dip. You guys have faith in us. And that is faith that we, I know everybody in this process, everybody at Dog and Pony Show, everybody, uh, Brian, myself, we feel it. And it, it, it allows us not only financially, but also emotionally to have an anchor to make sure that these are as high quality as possible. So thank you. 
Y'all are making magic happen. Uh, if if we could, we'd apply for the million dollar challenge to prove that real magic exists. <laughs> and it's at patreon.com slash And we would, just, we would just open up our phones and show our Patreon. <laughs> and they'd say, well, I can't argue with that. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. We'll be back soon. Bye-bye. This episode of World's Greatest Con is written by Justin Robert Young and me, Brian Brushwood, your humble host. Production and research by Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas, with additional production by Will Saddleberg. Original music by Carson Pace. Support us directly and keep the world's greatest cons coming by heading on over to patreon.com slash greatest con. Get an ad-free feed, early access to information, and behind-the-scenes extras. Very special thanks go to Banachek and Mike Edwards for allowing us to tell their story. We greatly encourage you to see Banachek's new show, Mind Games, at the Strat Hotel and Casino on the Las Vegas Strip. Additional thanks go to George Slatter Productions, which, along with contemporary news articles, retrospectives, and archive videos, made for the bulk of our research. Write us to World's Greatest Con at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.